welcome back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce. It's episode 151, and I'm joined online once again with my co-host, Sneaky Pete. How are you today, Pete? Happy Monday, everybody. Uh, we're going to kick off the week right here with uh, another episode at lunchtime. This is exciting, so stay tuned. Uh, we have some exciting things coming in the future. If you like what you're hearing, again, uh, follow and follow us along on the Lotus Council website, and we're also on Discord, so come enjoy the magic community with us. Absolutely. Um also, if you want to reach out and get a hold of us, please be sure to check the show notes for all the cool places you can reach us on social media. Um, I even recently started a Threads account, so like you're not just on X, but we're on Threads now too. Wow. So moving craziness. up in the world, no, moving apparently. up in the world, eh? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg is somewhere in his empire c- cackling away like, ah, yes, another magic podcast. I love yeah, it. They should, they should <laughs> do an IP of that. Just all the all of the tech lords can be like super powerful commanders now. How about that? What, what do you think? Oh, yeah. So Elon and like Bezos and uh, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg, they all get their own cards. Um, I think Zuckerberg is blue-black. He's like a blue-black com- commander. Um, Elon Musk is like, Jund. uh, he's Jund. Okay. Yeah. He's probably Jund. Yeah. Like maximum value. Like Bezos. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what Jeff Bezos would be. Blue white. Maybe. I don't know. He seems like of the three of them, he seems like the most innocuous, but so maybe blue white is the way to go. Maybe white green. I don't know. Something. Anyway, uh, we can cool. all dream. We can all dream. We- <laughs> one day, Pete. One day, our 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 <laughs> empire of of commander podcast will will make us rival the no, title. Anyway. Fifty <laughs> years later, someone's gonna dig us up out of an old archive file and be like, "What? What are these dudes talking about?" All right, all right, let's cool. roll. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to some 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 garbage or great. How do you you're interested in that, Pete? I'm always interested in finding. Okay, that's, okay let's, let's see what we can dig up today. So I went and found some new cards from uh, the uh, Wilds of Eldraine, thinking that I think they're pretty cool. First one, I'm going to read it for you and see what you think. Virtue of Knowledge. So it's an adventure, and so it has a, a front half and then a, a, an enchantment component. So the instant, which is one in a blue, uh, called Vanisher's Visions, copy target activated or triggered ability you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. And the enchantment says, if a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. Um, what do you think, Pete? Is this garbage or is this thing uh, is this thing great? Why did they have to do it in blue? Of all colors, they, they could have chosen. I mean, it's interesting because it does limit the sort of applicability because you need to have blue now to be able to do this sort of effect um but like artifact decks don't care they'll just stick it in there and like they're gonna go to town i mean if it was green that would be a problem right because token decks would just salivate because of all of the support they got in this set but um but i like that the fact that it's it's more of a controlled sort of Pandora's box, right? Like we've seen Panharmonicon just crack everything out um, with its utility. And we've seen some other sorts of doubling permanent effects, right? We've seen 
Garok in these colors, um, which is the more famous one for Commander. I think the adventure side is neat, but I don't think anyone is playing it for that side at all. I don't think you're going to really do that unless you need to. Um, well, I'm just gonna, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I, there's one commander, I mean, two commanders that now care about it. So Bruna, the, no, not Bruna, like the, the teamer colored commander from uh, right. that cares. And then there's Gorion. We're the only two commanders that give a hoot about, uh, about it. So yes, those two commanders, but in the absence of those two, I would agree with you. The front half is not something that's overly interesting. You're more interested in the second half, the five mana component of it, um, because of the fact that you're looking to double up on things like your great henge trigger when th something enters the battlefield, your yeah. um, that sort of stuff. You're looking my, to do some really. My aggravation is that it's easily copied. Like you could easily throw in like mirror make and uh, mm -hmm. the other blue enchant copy enchantment, um, and just have your crazy enchantress crap going on. Um sorry, I it was just something else that I was considering. Like when we play your buddy who plays Estrid, right? Imagine this in Estrid and then copying it like four times. It's like we're never we're never getting out of this game. We're just gonna be sitting here waiting for all the triggers to resolve. So I don't know. No, I, I agree with you. I, I would agree. I think the deck like the card is there's so many redundant effects that produce the same the same outcome that this is not innovative you if you're the going into a deck that wants to do this you now have got one more tool to pick from right. um but i i don't think it's any i don't think it's a cut above any of the other engines that do the same thing um landfall the too. Fact that, pardon me sorry landfall as well that's another huge yeah. consideration because obviously a lot of simic decks would run this card easy um yeah, AC, the AC and uh, Tatiovas and all yep. those things. So, like, like there are going to be decks that want this effect. Like, there's like not even a like not even a debate. It's just whether like w is this the right tool or is the Lithoform Engine or the Strionic Resonator or the Panharmonicon or blah blah like whatever the tool you want is. So it's a mm -hmm. fine card. No one's going to say that it's terrible. Um, I think it is going to be played plenty. Um, I'm just not going ham over it. I know there are people out there who are very excited for this effect, um, but I mean, my think my feedback to somebody looking to pick up a card would say, "Look, it's a good card. Do what you want with it, and uh, if it might be the right tool, maybe it's not. You have to sort of work that one out based on your curve, based on what sort of triggers you're looking to have copied. Anyway, it's got some it's got some potential. It isn't." choice numero uno but it's not a bad choice as we get further in the show as well this reminds me of just sometimes these cards can get cut pretty easily um if yes. you don't have enough balance in your deck for what you're trying to accomplish um do we really need a five mana enchantment that copies something that enters when we can just play something else that either draws us a bunch of cards or removes a threat or two there's always that sort of debate anyway, so we're going to actually dive into that later in the show. Spoiler alert, um, we're going to talk about some deck building sort of anatomy today. But uh, what's the second card that you had? This this card is interesting, this one, too. This is interesting. So this is Spectre Immortality. So three black black, three three flying Spectre. It says, listen to this one. When Spectre Immortality enters the battlefield, you may exile one or more creature cards from your graveyard. 
When you do, each other creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of cards exiled this way. I think... Okay, I'll let you talk first. I thought I, I had misread this card the first time I, I, I opened it, because I opened it in my pre-release, and I didn't run it mistakenly, and I probably should have. But what do you think of this one? Okay, so the three... There's a few problems I see with this card, right? First, it's five mana, and it's only a three-three oh. flyer. Okay. Oh, yes. Secondly, the exile effect—it's one or more, right? So you have to exile mm. at least three creatures from your graveyard that you're not going to get back to do something to kill everything. Token-wise, you might get rid of a bunch of things, but most of our stats in Commander are a lot better than this. This won't even kill Rutstein, you know what I mean? So mm. that, and finally. The last clause that it should have put on this card to make it playable to me would be like if a card would be put into a grave from anywhere this turn exile it instead. Because uh, then it would be a really valuable 5-mana board wipe. But this card, in my opinion, is, is an underperforming card. Uh, there's no need for this when black has 4-mana kill everything effects. Um, and 6-mana like the Lampus effects. I don't think this card even needs to be considered. But that's my opinion. In limited, this is a different story. This card is easily an all-star. Um... But in a, in a game where we have resiliency and we have resource management, I don't see this card being played. Uh, but that's my short of it. So, well, I think you're pretty. I think you're correct. I think ultimately um, there are better ways to eliminate the board. The only re potential I could see for this is because you're looking for the minus x minus x effect, um, and you don't. You have a bunch of fodder. Like you, you're in a self mill deck, and you're looking to have a way to. Um, to clear the board without costing you life points, it's just going to cost you junk in your junk in your graveyard that you want to essentially mill mill out anyway. So, it, you know, in that situation, I see there could be some potential for it. But you're right, a three three body is hardly scary. Um, the you the fact you lose access to the cards in your graveyard, where oftentimes like dredgy decks are going to want the graveyard to be fully stocked, um, but you know, the potential being that this could be, you know, minus four, minus five, minus six, minus six, if you really needed to be that, could be could be the difference between you getting wrecked out of the game. And at a mere 40 cents, like, I could see a case for budget players looking to do this. Um, and, you know, if you, and you can control how many cards you exile. So if your opponent is playing, you know, token decks that are all... One one soldiers, you could clear a lot of them out really quickly, and you know wipe the board clean. Now I agree with you. Five mana, three three body. Not really sure that's where you want to spend your mana because by five mana in commander you could do something a whole lot more impactful than than this. But there is a there could be cases made for this um, if you're looking to play budget stuff where you're playing heavy tokens meta. Um, so anyway, that's. That is where my third come back on it. It's okay. Um, it's again, as with many new cards, it looks really it looks really good and shiny in your in your limited set. But when it enters into the broader pool of playing commander, then it may not have the chops really to 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 take you far. So, um, you know, you can play it if you want. I I think I'm like with you, Pete. I would say probably it's a cautionary tale that you probably could do better. Yeah, there there's right. definitely definitely ways to like defile. Target creature gets minus one for each swamp you control. Yeah. It's just a simple rule. Uh, it's just way better. So 
Um, all right, what did you find for us this week? All right, it's funny how we do this, where you get the new cards and I get the old cards. Well, we, uh, I think we do that on purpose now. Like, yeah, I'm going to go reversed. look at the new shiny cards, <laughs> and you're going to go find the, the obscure thingies that are, like, that people may have in a box or may not, right. but, you know, that have forgotten about and may still have some, some life left in them. So what did you find this week? These are cards that excite me because they're, like, a dollar, and they're from really old sets, so their art is really cool as well. Uh, some of them have good flavor decks too, but I'm gonna start with the blue one because that one's not as strong as the second one. <laughs> I think we should go in like power up power order. So this, is, this card is insight, all right? Two colors and a blue. It's an enchantment. Whenever an opponent casts a green spell, you draw a card. Um, it's white bordered in sixth edition too. So if you're like me and you want to mess mess with your friends, uh, play all the white bordered cards, but. I yeah. I think this card is is really undervalued um as a as a blue kind of conditional draw effect. Again, if you're playing an enchantment deck like any of the Zer Enchantresses or you know Estrid or um anything that has a blue that wants a permanent like this on the board, it it's subtle because the opponent is forced to make a decision to cast a, a aggressive spell. This is like a control uh, player's dream, right? Where they have mm -hmm. to make difficult decisions throughout a game. Like every time I play a rampant growth, my opponent gets to draw a card. Every time they cast an Atlanta War Elves, I get to draw a card. The crazy thing is, you don't even have to resolve the effect. You can counter their best green spell and still draw a card. And that's what gets me the best is like. And it's for three different players that could be doing this at once because some people, you know. Love green, um, and I've been in very green-heavy metas before. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get at least two to three cards a game, I would think. Um, if you're not, then you're just unfortunately this card is dead in your hand. But that happens with a lot of three mana draw spells anyway. So um, I don't think there's much draw back in this sort of card effect. But what do you think? <laughs> I think you're, I think you're right. I think you know the way that green has seen its power level. And as versatility expand over the last number of years, that there's gonna be a lot of players that are leaning into green because it just provides uh, one of the best, some of the best tools to ramp with. Um, some of the the most, you know, not dynamic, but like most impactful board, like just ways to clean up the board and win the and win the game out, outright. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of budget budget friendly. On top of it, there's also green's got lots of tools to draw a heap of cards. So people yeah. are going to play and jam their green, and this is a way to not punish them, but make them think twice, and then help you draw a bunch of cards. So I think in any meta, like any four-person pod, there's probably going to be at least two players that are touching green, and you're going to be able to get some sort of value off of this uh, without too much trouble. So I really like this. I also like it from a design standpoint, because there was a time in early, early in Magic's history where they really, really savagely punish certain colors. And this doesn't punish them. It makes them make a choice that if they want to play green cards, that you are going to get car cards in return. And they might, some players might think twice about that. Um, you know, and, but then we, we've progressed beyond that to the point where like we get to like Rhystic Study, and now Rhystic Study is like, everything you spend like everything you play like it's almost gone too far for the rhystic study so i like this sort of design i think it's interesting i think the card is going to probably net you like you say two to three 
I would expect more than two or three cards a game. Um, and yeah, I just think it's going to be pretty, pretty inexpensive for what it's going to afford you. And it'll replace itself over two or three times in the average game. I mean, if you, if you have, uh, the money and you have a painter servant, then you're drawing every single spell. So it's one of those savage plays that I would love to see in a game one time where someone's like, Hey, I'm playing this really crappy enchantment insight. And now everyone gets to, uh, you know, think twice about what they're playing. Uh, cause I'm going to draw a heap of cards, but that's the jank man's dream. Um, Interest you say, huh? All right. To All use right. The, I mean, I'm sure there's other effects that change the color of things too, but um, all I know is that it's a neat card, right? And it's, it could be played in the right deck, and it could draw you a solid amount. Um, mm -hmm. Similar to the next, the next card is even better, though. Um, this one's been reprinted more, too, so that's that's also nice. They had a secret layer drop of it, really? Oh, they did. Yeah, apparently. That's cool. So, uh, this card is from uh, Urza's Destiny. Uh, it's called Compost, so it's... Uh, a green and a colorless enchantment that says whenever a black card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you may draw a card. The huge thing here is if this is anywhere from the library, uh, something dies, something is uh, milled, um, even when they cast a black spell and it hits the yard, I believe it would still trigger, but that's a rules uh, question. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, it's, um, let's read the card again. Whenever a black card is put into an opponent's graveyard. So yeah, if they cast a removal spell and the card the black card gets put in their graveyard after they cast it, you would draw a card. Um I like it, it triggers off surveil too. So if they surveil a card, which is like an off thing. I'm just thinking like breach the multiverse, and I'm like, oh, I get to draw all the cards. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh my god. I, I didn't even think about that. Because you could draw Sorry. like you could draw like six well, and it's also a May ability, so you don't deck yourself. Um mm -hmm. where the first yep. Ability that we saw earlier was only um, like force, so you have to draw every single time. Mm -hmm. But th yeah, this is a really strong, um, and it, I, I believe tokens also work too, right? Like, uh, like yes. a black so there is a, there, there is a period more. of time, yeah. So the zombie token dies, it goes to your graveyard, and then is from is, is exiled from there, so it doesn't. But yes, there is a, po a moment in time where it goes to your graveyard, and this would trigger off tokens dying and going to the graveyard so yeah like the whole thing makes for a package that's appealing and is uh i'm going to be honest with you it's probably a card that if you're in a meta again that black has perennially been a very strong color in commander it's got does a lot of things well uh it draws you cards it's got very credible threats uh the tutoring ability in and of itself is often enough for many people to get into black um, and now you have a way to really make that black player like reevaluate. Do I want to go crazy here and cast three or four spells, knowing that you're going to draw a heap of cards? So I really like this card. I think this is a great pick, a uh, great, great find that I didn't even I had no idea it existed uh, until you you found it and put it in the in the notes. I think it's a great a great choice, and I think there's probably players out there that are like me, like experienced players that. May have gotten into magic long before, long after this was in circulation. That I think it's going to make this card uh, interesting and something that people probably want to play. I mean, that's the beauty of this game, right? We get to 
we get to showcase cards that people don't know about or didn't know that they could use in a utility sense. Um, and our next segment is going to move into this idea of what our brains uh, fire for decks. Like, how do we, how do we create this concept that we want to show on paper? Um, it's mm-hmm. an art form, you know. Yeah. It it really can be. Yeah. So I agree with you 100% there. So I am looking. So one of the things that Pete and I are going to do the next couple of weeks is we're going to be highlighting some different archetypes and how we approach building them because oftentimes they're decks that we have built ourselves. Uh, and then how do we approach them to try and give you guys as an audience um, sort of a little bit of insight. Uh, maybe you're somebody who's struggling with this type of archetype or has never really attempted to build something similar to this. Um, we're going to start with one that probably most people have tried. Um, but I think we've got, each and I have, each Pete and I have got a successful version of this archetype um, that we, you know, think might help people um, streamline their deck or make their deck more consistent so they have a, a better opportunity of performing well next time you sit down and play at a pod. So, to this week's archetype, we're going to look at token decks. We're going to look at token decks and explore what sort of things we think about when we're sitting down to build a, t- a token deck. Um, because the way you build a token deck is going to be very different from how you're looking to build um, other types of archetypes. Um, so let's let's dive right into it here, Pete. When you're yeah. sitting down to build a token deck, what sort of things are you starting to think about when you're like assembling the pieces for your deck? So the first, one of the first decks that I had in Commander was a zombie deck before the Will Help Precon sort of ruined it for me, to be honest. Uh, when you see yes. everyone playing zombies, it makes me sad. Because at one point, it was not a very popular tribe. It was slow and clunky and didn't really have the support that it had now. Um, when I would build that deck, uh, if I had to do it over again, I would try to leverage my resources more effectively because the challenge with token decks is like you make this big board but you either can't finish the game or someone finishes you first by wiping you out and you can't recover a lot of these decks feel like last cannons even though they they can be more resilient um so i guess looking at it from there depends on again what what colors you're using first right that's a simple question you should ask yourself like what are the strengths of the colors i'm using what are the weaknesses? What do I need to cover for? So, like, the current deck I run is three colors. It's very, very good at um, being resilient, but it's slower than the typical, like, Selesnia deck that just goes crazy or the mono white deck that has a billion tokens on, like, turn six, um, where I'm still sort of developing my board uh, by that time. So, like, ramping to get to my commander, stuff like that, because my commander costs six mana. So it's, it's slower, but it still does a lot in games. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's just a matter of not over committing, uh, and like throwing every single token producer in a deck, uh, to start with, right? I think you should have a base of like a general idea of like, what do I want to, how much net creatures do I want on the board by turn eight or 10? Do I, do I want at least five or six? Do I want 10? Do I need 15? How big stats wise will they be, et cetera? I don't want to keep going. I could keep going all day, but uh, Bruce, what do you? Because your Maha deck is very quick, it's uh, it's very very uh, streamlined. So, well, yeah. So when I built Maha um, or Maya, depending on how you want to pronounce it, so she's Maya Bredegard, um, 
Brennigard Protector from Call Time, and she is a landfall commander, even though she doesn't say landfall written on her. Um, and so her trigger is that whenever you play a land, you make a 1-1 one, one human warrior token. And so um, the deck leans into this idea of making lots of tokens very quickly. And so I was looking at um, some a couple of key areas that I'm looking to, to try and exploit. Um, the first one is obviously ramp. Um, Maha and Mo, and then my, I have another uh, commander. I have I have do have Tristani, um, Slezinia's voice as well, which is another token commander. I find both of them are rather mana hungry for slightly different reasons. Um, you, both of the commanders are slower. They're again they're five mana commanders, similar to your three color one. So you're talking about um, needing quite about a mana to get your commander online. Uh, also. I find oftentimes token decks are rather mana hungry because they're looking for you. You're trading like efficiency of creatures for not raw number of bodies. And so you end up having to pay more mana to create more bodies. So things like secure the wastes and march the multitudes and all these like mass token producers are useful tools, but the one for one exchange like you're not getting a lot of power, you're creating a lot of bodies. And for them to be effective spells, you need lots of mana. So ramp is really important in these in these decks. And so when I built Maha, I think I'm like you. I really prioritize playing um, spells that are two mana uh, to try and get a maximum number of mana producing objects onto the battlefield, whether they're treasures or lands or artifacts. So ramp is really important, and I really prioritize two mana stuff over three mana stuff. Right. Um, even though I, I could have gone for things like cultivate Kadama's Reach, which are tend to be the more typical standards. Um, Maha needs you to get her on board fast, so you can drop a bunch of tokens as quickly as you can. Uh, the other thing is you're looking for ways to put multiple land drops into play uh, on the same turn, um, right. and that's part of that ramp package. But you're you're playing all the lands that like so every single fetch land if you can get it you can do it. Um, Fable Passage would be another include evolving wilds blah like all of that stuff is super crucial towards making Maha go, and that's making sure you hit your land drops every single time to get Maha online as quickly as you can. Um, the next thing I look at was like how do I produce tokens, and in my experience the best ways to produce tokens are things that don't involve you spending a lot of additional resources to try and make them. So I guess case in point being things like op um, Opposite of Bailoth. Is that the Opposite of Bailoth? Or no, Rampaging Bailoth. Sorry, wrong Bailoth. Rampaging Bailoth, which is, again, is a landfall trigger on it, Scoot Swarm, these sorts of things that have onboard triggers that you can get value of in making tokens. Because uh, you don't really want to dedicate more cards in your deck to making tokens. Like you could play Sapperling, whatever to make four one ones for six mana, but that's not a good use of the card slot, and it's not a good use of your mana. When you could play a, a Rampaging Bailoth and play a fetch, sack a fetch, make a, drop another land, and now you have three beefy bodies on the battlefield to help stem stuff. So your token producers are going to be the ones that are more effective if they don't have a lot of extra resources that you need to. De dedicate to them to make your bodies um and i don't know about about like yeah so fabian is different yeah. because 
you're, 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 you care about lands entering. I don't. I only care about what's revealed at the beginning of combat. Mm. And there's guarantee that someone's going to hit a land. And I'll get at least one, one, one. Um, and it's kind of like incremental. So if I get one, 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 and then I cast a spell that gives me like three more tokens, and then I get another token next turn, and then the next turn I cast another spell that says make a token for each, you know, creature I control or whatever. Yeah. Um. It's one of those things where like subtle cards like even Elspeth Sun's champion works fantastically well because Fabian is a three six. Three Fabian is a three six. So it blows everything up the first turn it's played, and then I make three one ones with and then Fabian makes another one one. So I already have like six power on the board. And they get buffed because of the the cards that are revealed each each turn. So I usually get one ones that are three threes. Um that are swinging for damage. But the the deck is different because I don't I only need like one or two tokens to really start the ball rolling. Where mm -hmm. some some token decks are more traditional, where it's like you need four or five tokens at least to start doing something. Um, yes, yeah, because um, yeah, I, I was going to use the other example of, of Tristani again, where yeah. again I don't want to spend a lot of card resources. I would rather use the populate ability on Tristani to build my board state rather than having to dedicate more cards to making more tokens. So, yeah. I mean, both Maha and, and Tristani play in a similar vein where I don't want to spend cards from my hand in no small measure because green-white has typically struggled to draw more cards. I would say that has changed in the last number of years, yeah. but traditionally has been a color combination that struggles to uh, cast card to get more, draw more cards. And so if I can use resources on the battlefield to make more tokens, um, and advance my board state, then that's what I will do. I will prefer over having to deploy further cards from my hand um, because the cards from my hand, I want to spend on doing things that are going to let me slam the door shut and finish the game. Right. Um, so moving to that sort of thing, we have the tokens payoffs, the things that are going to allow your deck to become truly explosive and dump tons of tokens on them. So that's, these are things like I categorize these as like your parallel lives, your anointed processions, your doubling seasons, your uh, just me. These are the sorts of the payoffs that your divine visitations is another one. These sorts notice, of cards. Yeah, what? you know, a beast master's ascension is another one mm -hmm. that's not yeah. necessarily a token producer, but once you get four or five tokens out, you can easily close a game. Um, I think you notice that like both of us, I'm going to double check your list, but. We're not running every single token doubler that exists no. because the point is really have one payoff instead of having to have three but no tokens on the board because that defeats the purpose. Um, yeah, I so I've got I've got I I've got three of these payoffs. I've got a Cathar's Crusade. I've right. got a Parallel Lives, and I've got the Divine Visitation as my three big payoffs that are going to make take my tokens from being ho hum to being scary. And that, that is a, like, to me, I don't think if I put any more than that, I'm worried that I'm going to draw expensive four and five and six mana enchantments that aren't right. going to advance my board state enough. So I've prioritized those three, um, in part because of budget considerations to some degree, sure. because, uh, doubling season is chronically very expensive, like chronically. Even though it just gets get, just got a reprint, it's expensive again. It's or still like I don't think it's ever going to it come down 30. off. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 steep. And anointed procession has crept up that way too. Like 
if you got it during Amon Cat block, then you got it at a reasonable price. Now right. it's much more expensive. So some of these were at a budgetary out of budgetary constraints, but um, some of it is also because if I put too many more in my deck, then I'm, that's all I'm going to draw, and I need to make tokens. I need to make the bodies, or else that Maha falls apart. Yeah, so, so um, oh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I'm going to, because we're both on Moxfield right now, um, I'm going to just hit play test, and I'll show you guys a sample hand uh, here. Yeah, let's see. Let's, let's just you talk us through. All right, so the first hand I got was bad. It was Timeless Witness, Toski, Tender Shoe Dryad, a Temple Garden, Enlightened Tutor, Elder Gargaroth, and Marisi. Um, so because uh, no land, no land. Okay, one, one land, right? So if I if I hit, um, where's the Mulligan piece here? Restart, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's the trick. I, oh, I this this land is a little better, right? It's still slow, but it's it's fine because it has Birds of Paradise, Toski, Jetmere, Reliquary Tower, Bonner's Enclave, and Sungrass Prairie. So by turn, you know, four, I can. Play pretty much everything in my hand, and Oron Frostfang is the is the card. So, if I was like on the on the draw, I would draw a card and just play a land. And then the second turn, I just drew Nature's Lore, so I would do Nature's Lore first instead of Birds. Um, but it's it's one of those things where I'd be ramping the first two or three turns, and then I would probably play Fabian as my first permanent or second permanent, depending on if I had you know any any like little guys like birds or something uh where i think bruce if you did a sample hand what do you think it would look like in this sense well i just well and for, uh, so i'm going to all right so maha my sample hand i have a beast whisperer planes kazanu mammoth uh king darian the i can't predict, i'm not sure which roman numeral that is avengers endicar forest and then a great henge so I look at this, I have three lands in my opening hand, but I have no follow-up play. Um, I might mulligan this, to say the least, but let's pretend that I played it. So draw turn, I get a camaraderie, which is disappointing. So I'm probably fl playing the Mammoth first uh, as a... Turn two, Colony Ambush added to that list, so I play it. I probably play it too as a land. So I'm again. I'm trying to get my land, make my land drops without without fail. So at the very least, I get Maha out on turn on turn five. Cross uh, and Verge is the next one. Like I'm not even worried about what my opponents are doing. Um, right. It's that's, secondary entirely. That's the interesting thing too. Is a lot of token decks. You're not going to be re you're going to be reacting to your opponents. You're not going to be proactive with your like response to them playing something you're going to try to like just outspeed them with your value yeah. um yeah no i would agree um my turn four draw was roiling regrowth which i would then be casting to put two lands into play um which would then accelerate me a little bit um so you tap sack one put two into play you're at five so on turn five you're absolutely hitting your maha and then you can drop drop a uh, drop your sixth land and start the and start the process of making tokens um now, if your opponents are quick and they're into doing some sort of combo shenanigans quickly, like your deck's unresponsive. You're goldfishing there and you're looking to set up your mana. Because again, mana-hungry decks need to get their mana online 
or else you're particularly with five and six mana commanders. It's just what it's going to be. So you're going to sit there for and be very passive, but you're going to ha- end up having to compensate for when it's time to start turning the corner and put yourself in high gear. You've got enough land to start deploying impactful things, making lots of tokens, and really advancing your game state very quickly. Um, and you know that is one of the advantages of a, of a token deck. Once it gets online, it's really hard to derail it. Uh, yep. The only way to derail it is really by wiping the board clean. And good token decks have what, you, what, what Pete and I like to call resiliency to be to, to removal. So there's lots of cool ways to do that. So if you like, and Pete and I will put our lists on um, on so everyone can find it. But you know, some of the things that I've got in my in my list are like Rap and Vigor. I've got Make a Stand. I've you can play. Um, what else is there going to be in those in this list? There's indestructible creatures. There's um, Sam. I actually put Samwise the Stouthearted as a way to return um, meaningful creatures from my graveyard to to play. Um, you know, like lots of those sorts of effects that are going to be make it hard. I got a new the, the new Boromir from the yeah. from uh, the Lord of the Rings set, which can, you can sack to everything's indestructible. There's lots of these effects. Um, the best ones are undoubtedly uh, Teferi's Protection. Would you agree there, Pete? Yeah, and, and um, the the budget version, Clever Concealment, is excellent, especially in this kind of strategy yeah. where you can just tap your tokens to protect your whole board. Uh, I saved myself several times with that. Um, so, you know, there's there's also, like, you don't need a ton of protection if you're going quickly, right? So, yeah. I wouldn't prioritize removal much beyond like a few problematic things. Like some artifacts and enchantments can just house your strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, creatures, though, you don't need to play any sort of kill spells for creatures uh, beyond maybe like a beast with generous gift if you're in green or white. Yeah. Um, like. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. You're 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 relying if your opponents are going to try and rely on creature combat, you're relying on the fact that you're going to have a preponderance of bodies to get in the way. So spending mana to remove only the most important threats is probably what you're going to do with your removal. So your generous gift and your beast within, because they can hit anything, if your opponent plays a problematic artifact, it can go. They play a problematic whatever. You've got a couple of silver bullets, but removing individualized creatures is probably not a priority because you're going to have bodies to get in the way, to gum up the ground and make it hard for your opponents to punch through. One of my favorite weird removal spells, it's it's a board wipe of a sense, but it, it outvalues the opponent. So like Descent of Dragons is a cons card that uh Bruce, you know very well, but the audience yeah. might not. Um <laughs> it's it's four colorless and two red, so it's not like the typical token sort of card, but it works with tokens because if you have twenty one ones that you make into uh four fours, because what this card says is destroy any number of target creatures. For each creature destroyed this way, its controller puts a 4-4 red dragon token with flying onto the battlefield. So, like, Fabian is cool because it gives everything haste. So what I can do is play the Descent first main phase, blow up all of the problematic creatures that I need to, and then kill the opponents because they're all 4-4s with flying. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other weird cards, like Sundering Growth is a really, really good removal spell that's budget-friendly. Um... Which is uh, it's one of those dual cards. It says destroy target artifact or enchantment, then populate, because we care about tokens, of course. 
Um, and then like draw, draw non-traditional draw effects. Like a lot of people play Toski and Oran because Frostfang because it says whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card, and they give some sort of uh, like overwhelming value if you have multiple creatures. But some of the best ones are like Samut Vizier of Nakatum, right? Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage, if the creature enters, draw a card. I've drawn like f fifteen cards with it with the cr thing before. Um, Rumor Gatherer is another one we've talked about a lot on this podcast, mm -hmm. where it just creates exponential value every time. Uh, Gallag Readers is the same way. Uh, so I think I wouldn't get too concerned about how you make tokens, because again, you're going to find a way to do that. It's how are you going to allow your uh, board state to overwhelm your opponent uh, in, I, in a quick fashion. Can I, can I jump in about card draw? One yeah, of the sure. cards that I really like is the card Camaraderie, which yes. is uh, gain X life, draw X cards, where X is the number of creatures you control, uh, and creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So it's got a bit of an overrun effect. It could draw you a whole pile of cards. Now, granted, you need to have a board state set up or else it doesn't do very much, but if you have a board state set up to take advantage of Camaraderie, you're going to be in the money and drawing a whole ton of cards. Uh, and then you can get a pump, and maybe that's enough to push, like, allow you to push one opponent out of the uh, off the table um or maybe you don't maybe you decide you're going to sit tight um because winning the game sometimes means you got to knock everyone out all at once um because yeah this sort of deck has a hard time picking on one person at a time it's got to be everybody all at once or not at all because you're only going to get probably one chance to wipe the table clean or you're going to be skunked so would you agree right. Pete? normally it's like it's got to be once Every single turn, I'm attacking with Fabian, even if it's not necessarily, uh, like great. Like maybe they can still block, but I'm still poking everyone because some people just take damage because they're so used to like something yeah. happening. Um, one of the best cards that I have that it's in three colors, so it can't be in Maha, unfortunately. But Marisi Breaker of the Coil synergizes with my commander a lot because yeah. as soon as I enter combat, we do the parlay thing. Mm -hmm. Reveal the top card. Everyone that revealed a land, I make it one one. And every non-land, everything gets buffed. Plus one plus one. I've swung with Fabian a lot too, just to get the go trigger out. Um oh, okay. and it's very cool. annoying to block an eight ten uh sometimes. So it's mm -hmm. subtle, but it's non-traditional in the sense of like people I feel like they develop this massive board, but they don't swing quicker. Like I'd always yell at my friend who played goblins because I was like, dude, it's turn ten, you have twenty five one ones. Even if you lose a few bodies, you're going to make more. I think leveraging that as well, making it difficult for people to block. Um, it doesn't matter if you lose three tokens if they're still taking like seven or eight points of damage. So that's my yeah. opinion per se, but I, I also, think, I'm a little impatient <laughs> when I play this sort of style. I want to punch you hard. I think fast. you're absolutely right. I think, I think you're absolutely right there, my friend. Um, you, you, you need to get aggressive with this sort of deck. Once you've got a critical mass of stuff on the board you cannot just sit and passively wait i mean you might be trying to wait out a, a control player to tap out the, for blue so you can try and resolve your your game ender but you gotta you you gotta go you gotta turn the thing sideways because that's the only way you're going to get people dead this is not going to be the deck that grinds people out like it's got to be like we got to go now um so to that end some of the like the game fin finishers are pretty pretty self-explanatory um, to, to my way of thinking, the you want a, like a creator hoof behemoth or some other overrun effect. Um, 
So you're doing probably Return of the Wild Speaker is probably the best option. Um, but I could be mistaken on that front. That's why I don't have Return of the Wild Speaker in this list. All right. Um, but Creator of Behemoth being the being like the, the big daddy of them all. Now Moonshaker Cavalry, which has been added to um the 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 silver bullets you have and then you want ways to go and get those cards so natural order is the best one i found to go and tutor it up but you can go in green sun zenith or you can go and uh get the uh, quarter calling um one that i think is overlooked that people forget about is traverse the ulvenwald which early in the game is only a land tutor so go find a basic but then if you can hit Delirium, then you can go and tutor up a creature for a single green mana. Uh, if that's what you need to do to go get your Greater Hoof Behemoth to put it in your hand, then that's what you got to do. But those, that's the way you're going to go and end the game is Natural Order or tutor up your your, your, your win con and then end everybody because uh, that's going to push so much damage at your opponents. And because Creator Hoof has Trample, Moonshaker Cavalry has flying. Your parent, your opponents are going to be ill-equipped to, uh, to block. Uh, they may have somebody may have a test protection in hand, um, which is always sort of like the worst case scenario. You like you hope to goodness everybody's tapped out and unable to block uh, or unable to do anything. But you know somebody usually has got a test protection because they can see it coming, uh, and if they, you know if they you're then heads up with one person one on one. It's a it's a coin flip if you can get it get there, but um, yeah, Creator Hoof Behemoth is usually the ticket to get people dead. Uh, Moonshaker Cavalry will be it'd be its uh, option one B, and uh, you do it and you kill the table all at once. Everybody goes. Yeah, um, notable cards. So like, there's other ways that I've had the deck built before where I had like pingers, like impact tremors, um, or. Uh, uh, Puff Daddy of, you know, uh, Perforos and stuff. And I found mm. that it it works sometimes. Uh, I wanted to lean more into just traditionally punching people because, yes, it can effectively, like, ping someone to death in specific games. I, I found it was more consistent for the tokens just not to worry about producing a huge mass but just going more linearly, like, okay, I'm swinging with two five fives this turn, I'm swinging with three six sixes this next turn, mm-hmm. instead of going for, like, you know, 25 one ones. Especially with the way the um, magic has evolved with, with stats and stuff, it's not as profitable sometimes to do that. Mm, yeah, no, um, fair, for sure. So I can totally can see that. Yeah, no, I just know the way Maha and the Tristani deck that I have both function. They operate in the same in the same sort of space where they end up having to. You don't even looking for like twenty five. You're 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 really going for like eight to nine tokens or creatures right. on the battlefield. Which is like by the time you put a couple of dorks on the battlefield, a Yavamaya Dryad, a couple of landfall triggers. Next thing you know, you're at eight or nine creatures. Hoof will do the trick because you're te- everything's a ten mm-hmm. gets a ten ten and trample, and you're going to wipe the board. So right. it's uh it's it's usually not as large as you might think. Um, but yeah, no, it definitely is a concern where, you know, you can find yourself in a situation where you have to rebuild a couple times in the course of a game and that can really slow you down a long way to get people dead. But, uh, yeah, eight or eight or nine creatures is sort of what you're looking for. Get your hoof, 
smash everybody. And if anybody's left, it's now it's a crapshoot as to who's going to get the job done. So right. um, here, here, the other thing too, I just want to add is um, when you're leveraging combat, right? When you're going in there and you're swinging at people, people are bound to swing at you back, right? And try to mess with your board on your turn. So there's some sneaky cards out there you can play oh, that yes. can that yeah. can help you. So like defense grid is is an annoying card. It says for two mana it's an artifact. Each spell costs three more to cast except during its controller's turn. Works really well for me because I don't care about other people's turns. You know what I mean? I'm going to go <laughs> yeah, to combat. Yeah. I'm going to smack you in the face. Rule of law as well is annoying because if someone is countering your stuff or uh, you know sort of exiling things on your turn or whatever they can only do it once so it's it, yeah. it mitigates the bleeding and finally a card that i need to pick up um that is finally affordable arachneogenesis right it's a token producer but it protects your your you from the, losing the game as a fog no no for sure absolutely i mean you need to find ways to you know because if you like i said if you don't wipe everyone off the table they're going to crack back at you and they're going to come for you because you just smash them for 24 30 points of damage they're gonna go pete bruce what are you doing we gotta get you now and you're like well come get me oh no no dice your things don't do damage to me now i get you and you know hopefully the game ends really quickly from that point because you cannot sustain this for long as a token deck it needs to be it needs to be over and it needs to be over soon overall i enjoy this sort of strategy but um i try to limit playing the deck all the time because it can get boring for pods to see it every single time so just be be mindful like with the deck because it's not a very hard understanding i would give it to new players to play that's what i usually do um when i'm at an lgs or i'm playing over discord or something um i usually pull it out it's the first deck i play when i when with new people because it, it allows us to kind of play the game without much stacks or without much interaction in that sense so it's enjoyable for new players i think it's great to introduce people to the basic functions of the game and the different phases and you know main phase one and main phase two and combat so i think that's wonderful i mean bruce and i love playing these decks against each other because it's fun of course it's something that magic was designed to do you're supposed to build your massive board state and smack everybody in the face uh what can go wrong really but I think just be mindful how you how you construct these sorts of decks. Um, I've definitely seen people play things where they make the huge board state, especially in Simic, not to pick on Simic for a second, but every deck is really Simic with extra steps. That's what I've learned. Um, you know what I mean? Everything either draws cards and creates value or ramps and creates value or draws and creates value. It doesn't matter, but it's all Simic. Everything is Simic. That's what my friend always says. Everything is just Simic. It doesn't matter what color it is. But... Um, Basically, I've seen people build boards where it's like they have 60 tokens, and I literally sit there and I'm sitting there. I'm like, you should have won the game five turns ago. Why are we still playing this game? But for some reason, they are hell bent at making as many tokens as they can, uh, you know, and just sit there with their massive wall. Um, so then you play something like Deadly Tempest, and you just laugh at them because they killed themselves. Uh, but anyway, find the balance yeah, yeah. in any deck. You know, find the balance in any deck. This is a little easier to see, though, as we've stated the last, uh, you know, half hour or so. Um, this balance I, I, can I, be I, I, just, I just want to like reiterate, like Pete's point, like this, these sorts of decks get very, very 
um, tedious to play because they are the win. It's so predictable. It's like right. I could, if 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 Maha is allowed to do her thing, blah 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 blah. It's just a matter of time before I, I draw one of the ways to tutor up my creator hoof and end the game. It's just a matter of time. Now, and there are weird situations. Like I've drawn eighty six cards and with that deck once because I uh, I made like sixty tokens and I cast one of those spells that says draw a card for each creature you control or whatever. Um. But, yeah, and as an opponent against these decks, I'm always looking to push them to the limit when it comes to their resources, right? Mm -hmm. Because if I can prevent them from making tokens in some facet, I don't have to stack some out of the game. But if I'm punching them in the face every turn for damage as well, they're going to think twice about hitting me back uh, because they don't want to die to, like, my commander damage or something. Um, So Vigilance is your friend. And uh, always do effective trades <laughs> when it comes to combat. There you go. Yeah, tokens. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> tokens, great strategy, lots of fun, very straightforward. So if you're a new player or somebody who's inexperienced in playing uh, Commander, this is a great way to get started. Uh, and so next week when we come, we'll be pulling up a whole different archetype and talking about a very different way of approaching a different archetype. Um, so yeah, stick with us for this uh, this introductory sort of how to and uh, and the, and the anatomy of a deck, so that you guys can uh, can maybe help your deck uh, construction and help you guys have more success at the table uh, next time you get down to playing. So anyway, excellent, Pete. I love looking at like lists like this. Uh, we'll put both the lists in the show notes too, so audience, if you want to go back and sort of check along with us as we go as we talk our way through it, then please do so, so that we can uh, we can help you guys. Uh, see how we build things that are successful for us. These are both very successful casual decks. Um, that they ru- they run they they hit hard too. Like they're not they, they anything hard. to laugh about. They they can win by turn seven or eight. I've seen, especially yeah, Bruce's absolutely. Maha deck is is a uh, is a doozy. So yeah, I mean as we go forward, we're gonna so we're starting with like a simple sort of strategy. It's not doesn't mean it's bad. Just something that's easy to understand. And then we're gonna go into like more combo related decks and adjacent um mm-hmm. and just kind of divulge into that because there are different strategies that i love building decks with one deck represents each strategy in magic because there's so many different ways we can win games at edh so uh, we're excited to share this with you agreed anyway all right let's move to wrapping up tonight pete so that people can uh, get on with their lovely day and we can get on with our lunchtime um if you want to reach out to us again, check the show notes. All the interesting ways to reach out to us are there. I need to put the new threads link in there as well. Let's just, uh, just update that. Um, and of course, as always, there, ladies and gentlemen, if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for what you'd like to hear us talk about, please send us a message um, through you can email us and, or on social media. We'd love to have to know what interests you guys as the audience, so we can direct our discussion to something that's going to help you guys enjoy the game more. So um, happy to do it. Please help reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to uh, have some audience participation. All right, Pete, time to go. Yeah. I'm always happy to do this and, you know, let's just keep, keep enjoying this game together. I, I like this strategy of uh, learning as we go. You know what I mean? In anything that I do. So, I love people's perspectives. I've seen some really cool uh, decks the last few weeks with some uh, friends on uh, 
one of my favorite uh, Discord channels. So, stupid decks at work, keep being stupid with your decks. We really appreciate you. Excellent. All right, everybody. <laughs> Thanks very much. Have yourselves a great day. Uh, enjoy Magic wherever you next play it, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace, everyone. Thank you so much.